right. So I guess we can dig into this. The this is basically like, you know, after they said Ross said they needed a lot more time to unpack this, then they waited till the next session, and then in session five, they begin this. Um, and the question is, um, I would like to ask the first step we should accomplish in becoming effective healers. And then Ross says we should begin with the first of three, and the three teachings are related to mind first, body second, spirit third. And the spirit is covered in session six. So they start with the mind and they say, we, we begin with the mental learned teachings necessary for contact with intelligent infinity. And intelligent infinity is discussed so much in the material that that deserves its own separate uh, discussion. Um, but this, this, I think we've already discussed this a bit today. This is basically like the, the awareness of the God consciousness that is the, the, the fully balanced entity is, is in that state. Uh, the prerequisite of mental work is the ability to retain silence of self at the steady state when required by the self. The mind must be opened like a door. The key is silence. So this is the prerequisite of the balancing exercises seems to be silence of self at a steady state. And this is obviously uh, at other points they talk about uh, meditation, contemplation, and prayer. Um, uh, meditation, especially, is helpful for silence of the mind. And the mind must be open like a door, and the key is silence. So, uh, any, any thoughts on this initially? Um, <clears throat> not to overanalyze it, but I suppose when it says when required by the self, <clears throat> I take it as that when we're choosing to to perform uh, uh, mental work, I suppose. Right. Yeah. The balancing exercises, I think, is what is referred to as well. Yeah. The mental work that would be, I guess, self-healing. Okay. Um, within the door lies a hierarchical construction you may liken unto geography and in some ways geometry, for the hierarchy is quite regular bearing interrelationships. And I think this makes a lot of sense to say this is the fractal geometry of the mind. Yeah, that definitely screams tree of life to me, because that's really all about those relationships between the Sephiroth. That's also highly geometric. Um, so, and that's the blueprint of consciousness so makes sense yeah yeah the archetypes yeah and yeah just as a snippet for other listeners the the archetypes are uh, recommended to be studied in three different systems astrology the kabbalah uh, which is what andrew was referring to with the tree of life and then the major arcana of the tarot is the system most explored in the law of one um, so it makes sense to me that the architecture can be seen in these different ways of, of the geometry of the mind um but i but i wonder if, if it's like the the archetypes also extend into every single kind of experience and every single kind of pathway of the mind outward in some way yeah i think because it's it's all holographic and and fractal i think that the whole is in every part mm -hmm. 
I think it's like a baseline too, right? Because they're talking when you talk about the archetypes and some of those, it's per each logos that the archetypal mind is formed from, but there can be many different forms of that logos, right? So it's this regular form that's kind of being, uh, I guess I'd say recycled or reused in that sense of this mental universe. Hmm. Um, well, there's logo going all the way up to universal, right? Cool. That we know of for sure, the cosmic logos effectively. Hmm. And I guess I'm trying so guess to I'm... where archetypal energies fall into, um, but I suppose that they can exist at multiple levels. There's nothing um, pinning them, so to speak, at the, the very deepest roots of mind. Um, we probably retain archetypal traits uh, at each of the, the logoi level of, you know, refractalized, uh, perpetuated consciousness this might be worth uh, finding another quote on this um, I do think that they refer to the cosmic mind as being um, beneath the archetypal mind um the archetypical mind is a part of that mind which informs all experience. Please recall the definition of the archetypical mind is the repository of those refinements to the cosmic or all mind made by this particular logos and peculiar only to this logos. Thus it may be seen as one of the roots of mind, not the deepest, but certainly the most informative in some ways. The other root of mind to be recalled is that racial or planetary mind, which also informs the conceptualizations of each entity to some degree. So the cosmic mind might be the mind that is um, choosing to invest itself into a logos for the purpose of exploring certain archetypes or patterns of being. That was my understanding of it. It was almost like a step up on that hierarchical nature where then once it's, like you're saying, invests itself into that logos, it can then explore different archetypes or be able to use previous ones um, that past logo I have used and or found benefit in or tried to test out new sort of, as they call them, experiments also with them. It'll be so fun to dive into this uh, in future sessions. Yeah, yeah like the, the levels of the mind are fascinating. I mean, sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, I, I totally agree. The, the levels of the mind, and it, 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 there's so much that goes in with that. But for this specific section we're talking about it almost seems like they're talking about how uh the, the the different levels of the mind are affected by the different um archetypes that each um logoi sets up you know like they refer to the fact that uh you know tools were meant to be implemented in this experience and we wanted to see what tools would bring and the tongue and the mouth as the main communicator as opposed to telepathy and then you bring other minds that have gone through these other archetypes that they bring that experience into the next archetype and, and see how that plays out. Uh, I believe they also refer to, they refer to like the hands being used or the thumb? Thumb, yeah. Thumb, yeah, to, to grasp, you know? So, you know, imagine living without your thumb. You can't do it in, in this um, archetype. 
But if you came from another archetype where you, you didn't have thumbs, but you could move things through telekinesis, you'd come to this one and be like, man, this thumb sucks. I, I, I want to be able to move stuff with my mind again. This thing is slow. Like I got to pick the pencil up. I got to write it down. Yeah. And I assume this refers to, this would be like the, the choice of the physical vehicles would be like a side effect of the um, explorations of the archetypes as they yeah. have been set up, which are, I assume it's like the, the most subtle um, aspects of the, of, of a desire of the, of the logos to have particular kinds of experience. And I don't even know if, I don't know if they say even if the earliest bodies in this galaxy did have uh, humanoid bodies, or if it was, if it took some experimentation to decide that our particular kind of humanoid body is the one that is best at helping explore these kinds of archetypes. Hmm. Peculiar only to the logos. That even that is still a little bit peculiar to me because logos does exist at a lot of different levels. I see what um, you're saying, Nathan, about this being more prevalent at the the logos that you know that we're a part of. Um, but it says here that it may be seen as it may be seen as one of the roots of mind, not the deepest, but certainly the most informative. So we're getting most of our our cues, so to speak, from the logos. Um, I presumably the logo, the solar logos, or perhaps the planetary logos. I think mostly they refer to the the galaxy, but that's maybe we should dig dig into that another session. Um, that's that's kind of a there's so many references to logos that they that they've implied that they're yeah. well, and I think that that is playing into when they say in the original uh, five point two uh, within the doors lies a hierarchical construction, and that's the hierarchical construction, you know. Uh, this ex this experience that we're having here versus the planetary experience versus the logo the solar logos and the galactic and you could play all the way up and all the way down with it. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at, but you did a much better job explaining it. So thank you, Nick. It <laughs> <laughs> <No> works. <laughs> that's why we have these chats. Yeah, throw all the ideas right. in the punch bowl, and then the punch will taste better. Yeah, this is great. Um, and we've gone for. A little over an hour so maybe we'll hold off on session six but i think we can work through this um mind and body definitely here um so that they they start with the body now to or we start with the mind to begin to master the concept of mental discipline it is necessary to examine the self the polarity of your dimension must be internalized where you find patience Within your mind, you must consciously find the corresponding impatience and vice versa. So this is this is discipline. This is the discipline of the balancing exercise is to be able to find the corresponding bias for each of the biases. Whenever um, it comes to this for me, it is so much easier for me to, to work from the again, I, the perceived negative end of it, you know, uh, patience and impatience. I, I would personally perceive impatience as the negative end of it. Um, so it, it always seems to me easier when you have those moments of the negative to look back and be like, oh man, um, to give a personal example, my, uh, my dog, he hurt his leg 
And uh, whenever, we, whenever we leave the house and we come home, he's so excited to see us. He's trying to jump up and, and, and I get impatient with him because I just keep you know, like, you have to stay down. We're trying to let your leg heal. And almost immediately, I'm like, ah, he, he's just excited to see us. Like, don't be impatient with him. Yeah, he doesn't understand the concept of healing his leg. It just feels a little bit better. And now he's going to use it to jump around. But the, the, to go from the, the, the one side of it to the other side of it for me is always easier. When I have m- moments of patience to, to, to go back and look and be like, I, I almost like don't want to do that work. And, but here it says that you have to find impatience where you have patience and patience where you had impatience. I totally agree. I was thinking the same thing about like equanimity. You know, if you're sitting here in this perfectly sublime state of being, um, you need to go search out a state of stress and frustration and angst or, you know, something like that. Is that what we're saying here? Well, this is specifically um, to kind of like master knowing yourself, I think. I think. Um, I think that this is not necessarily requiring we seek to have an experience so much as in, in, internally when we when we see um, that our, our life is going a certain way, it's helpful to imagine what it would be like if it weren't going that way and have that opposite experience. And then in that way, we don't attract that experience karmically as much in our outward environment because we found the balance in the inward environment. I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, don't they break that down a little more in one of those exercises as well, where you strengthen and internalize that whatever it is, that negative quality without actually acting on it or actually putting it out into the universe, but you do it as more of a mental exercise to to balance yourself that way and to be able to have them that more loving or appropriate response to what you were trying to be more of a service to self or service to others. But it's it's more of a mental exercise, I guess, right? Yeah. I'm probably getting ahead of myself here uh, with, uh, we could probably just finish this paragraph um, and this explains it better. Um, Each thought that has a being has in its turn an antithesis. Uh, Each thought that a being has, has in turn an antithesis. The disciplines of the mind involve, first of all, identifying both those things of which you approve and those things of which you disapprove within yourself, and then balancing each and every positive and negative charge with its equal. The mind contains all things. Therefore, you must discover this completeness within yourself. And this to me is the heart of it, is discovering the completeness within yourself. So if I say I'm a very patient person, it gives me an opportunity to say, oh, I'm more patient than you are because I haven't found within myself the impatience, which is also me, and the patience within you, which is also you, and the oneness through that shared, um, although, although the applying this to other people, they say, is the second step, just applying it into ourself is the first step that we have to we have to understand how are we viewing ourselves in a, in a biased way by saying um, this particular positive thing about myself um, is me and not the other half. But when you have that experience of you see yourself as an impatient person um, in the same measure that you could see yourself as a patient person, then then you can you can come into the deeper, fuller um, appreciation of yourself. I like the completeness here, how they they wrap this up there, because it does give you some context, I suppose. If you're patient, you may find gratitude even, uh, for example, in 
in tapping into that impatience or understanding the antithesis of the patients and feeling uh, grateful um, where you are. But certainly, obviously, in that experience, you now do see the full spectrum. And that, you know, is what leads to completeness here is what they seem to be saying. Yeah. Do you see this maybe as a... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that it seems like, so I think back to one of the initial statements that Rob makes about them being outside of polarity and everything, too. So would this be a way of working towards balancing, I guess, that polarity to find the completeness to then almost become outside of polarity? So now you just see the oneness in all. Is that... Mm. I don't know. Is it, see where I'm going with this? Or is that... I don't know if that's a way like to ultimately kind of build up to that or that's that's exactly what i was going to say i was just going to say to the point where you know if you consider yourself an impatient person and you you look back and you find the places where you were patient you're balancing your impatience by recognizing the patient true also to the point where if you think you're a patient person you could be like i am i am the most patient person and i am just patient all the time but recognize where you were impatient to kind of squash yourself down to get back to that balance point. You know, you can be hubris and, and I'm the most patient and loving person in the world, uh, but like, oh yeah, but you, you got a little pissed off that one time, you know, recognize the moments of the antithesis to get to that balance point, like you're saying, where they rose above polarity because they recognized both sides of it in real time. This sounds a lot like the middle pillar stuff um, in Kabbalah also, which is again, all about being centered between these two, um, these two extremes. Um, and so I guess this does also make sense that even if you happen to find yourself in uh, a position or having an experience that you would consider to be positive or a plus by not understanding it's its antithesis, you are lacking in a way, a level of completeness because you just sort of, to the same way that you are if you if you default to an, a negative uh, a negative experience uh, on a different spectrum, you're, you're also losing the opportunity for balance or to see um, the thing in its entirety. Now, I guess moving toward the middle uh, is that such a bad thing? Like, what is what is in between patience and impatience? I want to read this other quote here from uh, session 42. Um, th they said the question was incorrect, so we'll skip that. But they say the exercise of first experiencing feelings and then consciously discovering their antithesis within the being has as its, as its objective, not the smooth flow of feelings, both positive and negative, while remaining unswayed. So they're not saying we should try to have negative experiences. That's not the point of this, but rather the objective of becoming unswayed. So the more we find this completeness within ourselves, the less we're swayed by these reactions, which have a, a charge to them. And we don't have to go down those paths of being imbalanced. Okay. That makes sense. It's more about being unswayed. Yeah. And then as Nathan said, when you, when you get to that unswayed point, then you rise above uh, polarity. You kind of see both aspects of, I don't know, each interaction, each whatever it is. But as Ross said, um, they're, they're above polarity. 
Yeah. They it's almost hard to fathom. Was that? Oh, no, but I just it's, it's almost hard to even fathom that being outside of polarity, but it seems yeah. like it's a stepping stone to, yeah. to to getting that point in the higher densities. Yeah, but it's it seems I mean to to put it in the absolute most crude uh, example I could, it's practicing recognition of both so that you it, it's it's instinct to be unswayed. Like if you were practicing free throws and you step up to the free throw line you're, you're going to sink that bucket every time because you've practiced it so much, you know, and, and it's almost like practicing any discipline they were practicing, you know, this, the ultimate discipline. So the, the next paragraph here was uh, the second mental discipline is acceptance of the completeness within your consciousness. I think we've got ahead of ourselves again, because they're saying, um, Basically, once you discover in the first step, discover the um, the imbalance or the positive or negative charge, and then find the opposite charge, then you have to accept this completeness within your consciousness. And they say it is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. And we can unpack that here. They say each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment engenders. So when they say uh, picking and choosing among attributes, I think this could be like if you are an impatient person, you 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 would want to say that um, you're a patient person, and then if you're saying you're a patient person, you could be trying to build a role artificially that causes blockages, confusions. And the already distorted mind complex, but the acceptance of the completeness is what smooths the the process of judgment, the faculty of judgment. So I guess I guess this is just saying don't be non-accepting of the attributes that you've assigned yourself for your own growth and healing process, um, because these are the 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 already distorted mind complex distortions which are there for a reason. Yeah, I look at that word attributes. It's just interesting to me because I see that as then also a little bit what we were talking about earlier, the whole biases thing and characteristics, because you don't necessarily get to choose what sort of characteristics or biases form in your mind. If anything, you you need to then analyze those further and, and accept them for what they are and, and better understand them to be able to, um, I guess, get to that acceptance point there. But it's something that's uh where they say you don't get to choose them is ultimately what i'm getting at is that's just kind of parts of you your characteristics that you've been given or chosen to come into this life with that will offer you the most growth i guess once you can accept those and, and work through those right yeah a simpler example than saying patients and impatience would be saying i'm tall or short you don't really pick if you're tall or short you've already chosen that before you're born essentially um, by your parents, which relates to the food you'll be eating and all that is connected. Um, so you don't get to choose to be a different height. Um, you get to find a way to accept the the way that you are. I can give another example. The uh, the, the example I said earlier about uh, seeing a homeless person and choosing to give them money or, or uh, buy them a meal or something, it's, uh, it, it's a real world experience I had where I was like, I think I was 15 and my friend and I drove into the city 
uh, in Philadelphia when I lived in Philly. And we sat down to eat it like a checkers and uh, a guy rolled in and he had one leg. He was in a wheelchair. He was clearly disheveled and, and uh, you know, maybe not using the money that he received for the best stuff, you know. And so he rolled in and uh, started asking every table, can I have some money? And like aggressively asking, give me some money, give me some money. And my initial judgment was like, no, I'm not going to give you money. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, you're just going to go spend it on, you know, booze or drugs and you're going to be wrecking your life even more. And, you know, all, all that happened in a fraction of a second as he rolled up to our table. All these thoughts ran through my head. And as he rolled away, I was, I, I thought like, this is not, this is not the best way I could have handled this situation. And he rolled to the guy's table behind us. And the guy said, you want money? What do you need money for? And the guy said, food. And he goes, all right. And he, he walks up to the counter and he says, order anything you want. I'll get you anything you want. And I mean, that was the universe just smacking me in the face. Like, you, okay, you had the thought you could have been better. This is how you could have been better. And ever since that point, I've always offered food or water or whatever it is, because, you know, it, it, it's just a better way to be, you know? And then to further go into that point, probably 10 years down the line, still living in Philadelphia. And uh, this lady who had just happened to meet at a, at a bar, we were sitting and chatting and a homeless guy came up and I said, would you like something to eat? It was a bar that served food. And um, he said, no, I just want money. And I was like, I'm sorry, man, I can't just give you money. And this lady who I had just met handed him money. And we, continued, we, we then went on after he left to have a conversation about it. And ultimately her point, which she, she put it so eloquently, was if you want to help that person, help that person. It's not your decision how to help that person. If they want money and you offer food and they don't want food, they just want money, now you're left with the choice. Do you still just want to help that person? Or do you want to help that person in the way that you think is best? And I, that lady blew me away. I mean, I, I never saw her again after that, but I, I took those lessons in the life because it's just like those judgments that you make, you don't even realize the harshness of some of the nice, you know, quote unquote, nice judgments you make until the universe comes in and says, oh, well, you know, you could be a little more lenient. You could be a little nicer in your judgments. Yeah. I feel like that was kind of specifically asked about in session 42. Um, the question was, many entities here feel great compassion toward relieving physical problems of third density other selves by administering to them in many ways, bringing them food if there is hunger, as there is in African nations now, bringing them medicine if they require that. Um, this is creating a polarization or vibration that is in harmony with green or fourth density. However, it is not balanced with the understanding of fifth density that these entities are experiencing catalyst the more balanced administration to their needs would be, be to provide them with the learning necessary to reach the state of awareness of fourth density. And Ross says this is incorrect, that uh, we shouldn't be um, helping them because, it, it, because they're already experiencing the catalyst that they're needing. Um, Ross says to a mind-body-spirit complex, which is starving, the appropriate response is the feeding of the body. You may extrapolate from this. On the other hand, however, you are correct in your assumption that the green ray response is not as refined as that which has been imbued with wisdom. This wisdom enables the entity to appreciate its contributions to the planetary consciousness by the quality of its being without regard to activity or behavior, which expects results upon visible planes. So the quality of its being 
without without expectations of responses yeah. on the visible planes. Um, yeah, I mean, and that lady, <laughs> she just she laid it out like gospel. I don't know whether she read the law one or you know what what she's taken into her life to come up with that, but she she said that she's like you you can't give something expecting one or the other thing. You just have to act upon whether or not you feel like you want to help this person. It's like a blend of being able to respect their free will. So they already have this in their mind. So if you don't give them money and their ultimate intention is to say, go buy drugs, the next person that will hand them money, they're still going to do that. So you need to honor their free will and the experiences and the catalyst that they have coming to them is, is going to ultimately then decide their path from there. So if you're in that state, if you're all, your goal is basically to be of service to others. So your service at that time is either in your, in your case, they're providing the money or that you can't have an expectation behind what they can and can't do with it. It's yeah. From a matter of free well, will. Um, I would go another step further. I think that while Ra was very explicit about feeding the hungry, uh, which makes a lot of sense, they didn't necessarily say that helping someone that's asking for money is that giving them money is actually the help that they need or the help that they, you know uh might learn through it might mean not getting the money and not getting that fix and and finding an alternative that night that might allow them to turn the corner or have them you know fight through withdrawals or something like that that might also be something that they're calling into themselves so I guess, in other words, while it's not ours to decide what help is, uh, I don't know that the small self uh, or the egoic structure of the the being before us is as knowledgeable about what help uh, is either. And sometimes the the help that an addict might need, for example, is going through withdrawals to hit rock bottom and decide that they want to turn around. So I do like that this passage is here, but they're really clear about this is this is food, this is basic necessity. And, and a, a third density being is not likely to continue its, uh, its soul journey or its path um, a lot farther and be able to explore its spiritual existence if it can't eat. It is definitely a challenging issue. When they say you may extrapolate from this, um, I, I, I like to extrapolate a lot, <laughs> but I think that the, the idea of, that the quality of of its being is only you know determined fully when 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 that 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 loving response is refined with wisdom that's that's where the planet has not reached that stage yet so that's why it's almost like um it's, it's like we have to trust our hearts because that's where the in the condi- in the veiled condition where we don't have that wisdom i think trusting your heart is kind of the the starting point and then if your heart is telling you, like, I need to help this person by, you know, withholding this particular service, but offering this other particular service, I think that's the way to look at it. And I think really, as long as you know that you're offering service, that, that might be the, the key of it. Yeah, I think that the wisdom here is like, if you're a parent of, uh, of a child with addiction and they're asking you for money, uh, you may be wise enough to not give them that money but obviously to continue keeping a roof over their head or feeding them etc so yeah yeah that makes sense 
and, and you boil down then to intention. So you have this intention to be of service and however you feel directed to then provide that service is what's appropriate at that time. So whether that is, we're saying providing the money or withholding the money or anything, but you're doing it out of a loving nature with an intention to be of service. That's at least yeah. the way I typically look at these things. If we're, if I'm on the road or driving down the street and you see the homeless there, I'm, I have the intention I want to be of service. So if I have a water bottle in my car, if I have extra change or cash in the car, I want to be of service to help if I can, but if I don't at that time, it's, I still have that loving intention, but there's nothing I, I can do at that time. And that could be the catalyst that they're asking for as well, or catalyst for me at the same time too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost even the word help is, is too broad in this case, because it's all service effectively, whether you give them money and regardless of what they choose to do with it, or you don't give them money, whatever you do is serving as catalyst for that person. Uh, regardless, so, I mean, you're you're still, you know, acting as a teacher to them. Regardless, I could give another example. When when I moved out to Colorado, I was at a dispensary, and when I left the dispensary, there was a guy at at the exit of the um, parking lot, and his sign said uh, um, something along the lines of uh, "Donations weed only." And that struck me. So I, I stopped and I talked to the guy and I was like, weed only. I was like, I got bottles of water in the car. You know, would you like, he's like, no, man, I, I have a job and I make plenty of money to provide for my family and I, but I don't have extra money to get the other things that I prefer. And I was like, got it, got it. So you don't want us to give you money because you're making money but you would you would accept some weed because he wanted to smoke a J. So I gave him a J. But that's another one of those, you know, those teaching moments where you're like, okay, what's going on here? Because he didn't look, you know, like he didn't look like he was living on the streets or anything like that. So it really struck me. I had to pull over and talk to the dude. But it's another one of the teaching moments where you, you know, you think you think you have a good concept on the uh, situation and then the situation goes, nope, you didn't even know step one. <laughs> it could be a more clear extrapolation. If, if the mind, body, spirit complex is without cannabis, get them some cannabis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that definitely is a, a lot easier example than the dude who, you know, in Philly was, he was clearly on some harder drugs. And my, my thought process at the time was, you know, um, I'd love to help you out, but I'm not going to help you go put yourself into a condition where you might then go on and damage other people. And uh, it, it's definitely, I, I see what you're saying, Andrew, where the wisdom comes in and like, you, you kind of have to, I think that also comes into where they say quietness of mind at, at the, at yourself's demand, you know, like you pull up to the corner and the guy's asking for weed and then you, you quiet your mind and the universe says, well, I can give him a J. You know, right. you might not know all the factors, but if you're able to quiet your mind and receive, you know, guidance yeah. from your higher self or from intelligent infinity, you, you, you'll come to that conclusion right away. Now, I wasn't able to do that at the time. I, my mind was going a mile a minute. Like, why, why just weed? Why is he sitting here? Like, why did And then, so I went and I asked him, but maybe if I had been able to like get that instant meditative moment, I would have just immediately known, yeah, give him a J. Yeah. We have so much help uh, from our guides in the areas where we don't have wisdom. 
Yeah. We have an open heart. We're in the vibration that is capable of receiving that guidance, I think. Yeah. And I've had many experiences where I was basically told there's a homeless person around the corner before I get to that point. Yeah. And it's like knowing that I have the ability to help them, knowing that I need to be looking for them. I know I need to give them help at that point. And that's happened to me a number of times. Um, and it doesn't always have to be something like that, like like uh, helping somebody financially or getting some uh, getting some weed or something like that. I, I had a situation where uh, I left my apartment complex and my car was parked on the road. And when I went out to the road, there was a, a guy sitting in a 2005 uh, Subaru Impreza, which I used to have. And I loved that car. I, it went to like 220,000 miles. It was a beautiful car. And I was like, I should go tell him never sell that car. Nah, I'm not going to bother him. And then I sat in my car and as it's warming up, it, my head just kept going, go talk to him, go talk to him, go talk to him. I walked over to the dude and I said, hey man, never sell this car. This is a gem. And the guy started tearing up immediately. Turns out it was his son's car. His son had, I think it was MS. He had died two years previously. He had the key, which clearly wasn't his everyday set of keys. This was a special car he drove when when he was thinking of his son and all that. And uh, on the keychain had a finger, uh, the thumbprint of his son. And he, he started tearing up and he was like, I'm never going to sell it. I'm so happy you said that. This was my son's. And I drive it when I'm thinking of him. And I'm, I'm, I got to tell my wife, you know, that I met somebody else. And But it, it brought this moment of joy to him that, you know, if I had just gotten in my car and driven away, had the thought and not re- responded, it, it, it would have been a moment past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we could just finish up. Um, these are, these are great examples. Uh, and I think that this is all applying a little bit to, um, you know, like applying the balancing of our ability to be accepting of those around us. And that's kind of what they talk about with the next steps here. Um, the third discipline of the mind is repetition of the first, but with the gaze outward towards the fellow entities that it meets and each entity there exists completeness. Thus, the ability to understand each balance is necessary. When you view patients, or uh, you're responsible for mirroring in your mental understanding, patients, impatience. And I think they, they use the patients and patients together to say these are two sides of the same coin. That, um, the, the, you know, the slash is not, Rod did not say when they were transcribing this, Rod didn't say add a slash here, patients, slash, impatience. They just said patients, impatience, almost saying, Impatience is a kind of patience, or patience is a kind of impatience. When you're looking at it this way, um, it's the same. It's the same concept together. Um, when you view patience, you're responsible for mirroring in your mental understanding. Patience, impatience. So you see, you see uh, the patience or the impatience, and you see that this is a part of something that you have within yourself, which is this concept, which is I have the ability to have these um, balanced or imbalanced reactions to things through my patience and impatience. And you can um, you can see this in your in your in your mind, your mental understanding. That's my interpretation of this mirroring in your mental understanding. Um, I uh, just to add to that, patience is actually one of the things I've put on my list of things that doesn't exist in truth. And and this actually resonates here with the statement. What they're saying is that when you to to declare something or claim something or someone as patient. Um, you are, to one extent or another, sort of highlighting 
the antithesis because you're saying that somebody is patient despite some condition or circumstance in which you would you know normally expect them to be to be impatient and so to to call out patience um, in a way is really spurred on by impatience and that's why i say the patience doesn't actually exist in its truest form because if you were truly patient there you're not waiting for anything you, it's not about um you know i can wait as long as it takes it's it's about being completely whole in the moment in which you stand and that everything that's present is perfect just the way that it is so this makes a lot of sense to me that you are mirroring your you're sort of mirroring the 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 inverse almost in this case so if you see patience then you're you're mirroring the impatience that that it takes you know to to claim something as patient if that makes sense yeah another example could be when you view a homeless person who looks like they're greedy you're you're perceiving a greediness and what they're wanting and you you could say i can see a generosity in them as well i can see greed and generosity as being something that that's the completeness within them and once you get to that place of seeing both i think that's easier to forgive them for what you perceive as a fault in the homeless person if you see if you see them as imbalanced in this way you can imagine the aspect of themselves which is the balanced aspect and you can see that also in yourself and i feel like that's that 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 completeness is is the is the way in which we begin to get closer to um open-hearted state that is capable of receiving higher wisdom through through our guidance um so to go back to that, to go, to go back to that example where uh, i saw the guy in in his car um legitimately went through my head creepy not creepy like you're gonna walk up to some random dude's car and he's gonna be like who is this creep and then ah, maybe it won't maybe you'll take it well you know and it, it just you know they harp on patience and patience but it goes you know what are the two sides of the coin and i legitimately in my mind was like that's a pretty creepy move that just randomly and the universe said no it's, it's not try it out and they mirrored this concept here when you view impatience as necessary for a mental configuration of understanding to be impatience patience and we use this as a simple example most configurations of mind have many facets and an understanding of either self-polarities or what you would call other self-polarities can and must be understood as subtle work. So it's never going to be a clear-cut um, situation with a homeless person. It's going to be a very subtle process of discerning. And I guess probably trying to be as honest as you can about what you're actually seeing and allowing that to be um, processed and understood on a deeper level goes back to when Andrew was saying to use the wisdom in the situation. And the next step is the acceptance of the other self polarities, which mirrors the second step. So I kind of say talking about that also once you once you perceive this seeming judgment of the other self, you then you then have to find that balance, find that completeness and find the acceptance. And that acceptance is the process of opening your heart more and more, I think. Yeah. And this also to me is about the uh, disciplines of the personality. Know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. We can just we can cover that more in a different uh, uh, session here. But I think the knowing the self is what they say is the hardest part. 
which is this process of uh, finding the antithesis of each of the imbalanced biases that have the positive or negative charges, and then eventually becoming unswayed through the acceptance of the completeness. Um, when we're talking about positive and negative charges, I was going to ask this earlier. So this is kind of broad applying to all of this. Would we would we presume that this is as measured by an emotional response or the emotional guidance system or um, in an intellectualized manner to decide that which thing is positive or negative or I think this goes right back to the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest response of entities towards experiences, which I think would be an emotional reaction. Okay. And that I like because I, I trust the emotional guidance system when it's used properly. So it makes sense that this isn't an exercise of thinking our way through these things, um, but rather understanding the feelings that arose in them and that when a feeling is present, there's perhaps polarity implicit yeah uh any, any feeling other than love i think uh well i, I don't know if i said that right that, that there have there have been discussions in the law of one around um emotional imbalance also that um suggest that to the fully balanced entity um there is no emotional charge other than a reaction of love i might be able to find that one that almost sounds like a, a, a hierarchy of your response. You know, if you're constantly coming from love, then your emotions will come from love. Your actions will then be of love, you know? So it's, it's that step upwards to, um, you know, the, the, the unstudied spontaneous response. If you're 50-50 love and fear, then 50-50 your emotions can go from love or fear and then you know 50 50 your response will be one or the other and then if you analyze the 50 good responses you know good responses and the 50 not good responses then you start to get a more complete understanding of well if i hadn't had this which led to this which was rooted in this you know that seems like that's what that mental work is all about so session 42 interesting we keep coming back to this session um don had brought up an example if a bull in a pen attacks you because you have wandered into his pen you get out of his way rapidly but you do not blame him or you do not have much of an emotional response other than um the fear response that he might damage you however if you encounter another self in his territory and he attacks you your response may be more of an emotional nature creating physical bodily responses Am I correct in assuming that when your response to the animal and to the other self, seeing both as the creator and loving both and understanding their action and attacking you is the action of their free will, then you have balanced yourself correctly in this area. Is this correct? And Ross says this is basically correct. However, the balanced entity will see in the seeming attack of another self, the causes of this action, which are in most cases of a more complex nature than the cause of attack of the second density bull as, you, as was your example. Thus the balanced entity would be open to many more opportunities for service to a third density other self. And uh, Don asks, would a perfectly balanced entity feel an emotional response when being attacked by the other self? And Ross says, is this correct? The response is love. Hmm. 
think I skipped over the part I was looking for. Um, might have been the previous session where they say that um, well, I'll read this. Uh, we read this earlier here. The the objective of becoming unswayed is the is the is the end product. And they said further, the catalyst of experience works in order for the learned teachings of this density to occur. However, if there is seen in the being a response, even if it is simply observed, the entity is still using the catalyst for learned teaching. The end result is that the catalyst is no longer needed. Thus, the density is no longer needed. This is not indifference or objectivity, but a finely tuned compassion and love which sees all things as love. This seeing elicits no response due to catalytic reactions. Thus, the entity is now able to become co-creator of experiential occurrences. This is the truer balance. And this is why I think they say the third discipline of the personality is become the creator. First, know yourself to accept yourself. And now the catalyst of knowing and accepting yourself is no longer there. Now the entity is able to become co-creator of ex experiential occurrences. This is the truer balance of becoming the creator. And that's what love is doing. Love is this creative energy that's creating the entire galaxy and creating the universe through through uh, free will to have this experience. I went off in too many directions there, maybe. I think there's there such a thing. I mean, that's that's raw in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one, so it's all connected. Yeah. I think that goes back to the um, the one we were talking about with session uh, 4-20. Realized it, uh, realizes deep within itself the law of one. There is no disharmony, no imperfection. All is complete and whole. And, and it's, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to think, but then you go out into the world and the world throws just, you know, such intricate uh, catalysts at you. It's, it's not so easy to act upon in, in every situation. Yeah. But then if you, if you could, because like you said, Mike, the extrapolate from here and I like to extrapolate. So you have, you have one of those, um, those moments where you, the, the, the situation is so complex when it's thrown at you in real time. And then you make your reaction. If you go back and you over, not overanalyze it, but you go back and you analyze it, you can find where, you know, it, it was the way it was supposed to be. And you can act from love. Uh, maybe you didn't that time. Hopefully you will next time. But if you could embody that everything is perfect, everything is whole, I think that the day-to-day -day situations would more easily, you'd respond towards love if you could just, just truly embody that in your being at your core. Yeah. I feel like this is also kind of the, the reason why the, the book of Genesis started out with this analogy of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as being this wandering away from the tree of life or this separation rooted in this sense of good and evil as being this this thing that we have to be processing the world in terms of because once you once you get rid of this judgment uh or, or the need for judgment through the seeing of the completeness uh, that you never truly can have uh one positive charge without the negative charge um 
in this world of polarity and that these are part of the same identity then you can then you can fully find that love and forgiveness on a more automatic level i agree with that the the not the tree of knowledge of good and evil um i think symbolically is the um the choice or the decision uh as much tied to self-worth probably as anything as to how much of the light is present or to accept and so judgment is always a function of um of perception based on how much of the light is being perceived in any one thing and so what we're talking about here is the realization that everything is only one thing yeah and like Ra also says go ahead oh, i was just i like the quote is reminding me of the quote for the best way to be of service and it's the radiating the love of the creator as it's known to the self so it's where you're at on that journey is basically what you'll be able to radiate and how far along you come will determine where you're at at that time and I know I just keep going back to that one all the time is one of the most important quotes that that come up with at least yeah that's service and that the thing that I always that, that has helped me in my life uh immensely was the section where he says uh something along the lines of your universe was created to have evil you know otherwise it's like playing poker and knowing that all the hands you knowing the dealer's hand it's just too easy there's no consequence you know and that genesis story could be about that we lived in the garden of eden and everything was perfect and you know it was easy to be patient it was easy to be loving because you didn't even know evil existed you know everything you could do the right path every time because there you there was no wrong path path and then we learned and through that learning it produces more catalysts and when ra says it's like playing a game of poker and and knowing all the hands that quote pops into my head all the time because i'm like all right you know this that was a challenging situation but you know it was a it was a moment to learn it was a moment to grow it, it helps uh difficult situations maybe not be easier in the physical but definitely easier for you to process mentally because you can think of it as a uh, as a help towards your your greater growth as opposed to just you know stubbing your toe and being mad about it like okay I can exude I can exude patience here now or I could just get mad about it. Yeah, I would love to go over the poker game analogy in another session too, and the one Nathan mentioned about the most useful way of being of service. Um, and I feel like we probably should wrap up pretty soon here. Um, and you do you want to look those two up mike and, and I, we'll write them down um yeah i think uh we can um well we can we can handle that in the, in the next meeting we can go over those but just make a note to i mean if, if we if you looked them up well you have a recording yeah i was gonna say so we don't forget we can write them down but you have the recording Never yeah it's, it's recording yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah i think we can finish up with the mind area here and then um, do the body next time too and well maybe we can also dig into the different kinds of bodies we can get really deep into that subject and figure out what was what, what is the implications of a discussion of the body really um when we're talking about time space bodies as well as space-time bodies metaphysical bodies um but the um they say the four, fourth step um was the acceptance of other self polarities and the fifth step relating to the mind involves um, observing the geographical and geometrical relationships and ratios of the mind, the other mind, 
the mass mind and the infinite mind. And so here we're definitely talking about the tree of mind. And this is interesting, interesting that this is seen as a separate step that you'd work on in your meditations. Um, I guess when you're um, able to fully accept those around you, then you begin to see the relationships uh, relating to the relationships of everything going on in the mind and the other mind and the mass mind and the infinite mind. And it's interesting to me, this could delve into areas like, you know, how do we heal political divides? How do we heal religious divides? Although very few in our culture maybe are finding the pathways to, to heal those divides, but these relationships um, between the different polarities that are existing in the deeper aspects of the mind um, are something I think inevitably we, we have to heal as a planet. I think that's why the first step is for the mind to know itself because you you have to have a firm rooted idea of yourself before you can uh, really go out there and apply it to the rest of the world. That's that's you know part of the the great divide and conquer uh, um, strategy. If if the people are constantly fighting with each other, then the greater problems will never get addressed because they're constantly in this myopic view of you know their own problems and their own existence. Whereas if they had the, the, the time and the energy to dive into it, they might, you know, see their neighbor as uh, just another, another person going through some stuff. And if we, if we banded together, we could solve the streets problems. And then if the streets and the community banded together and it could just grow and grow and grow, but it all starts with the one individual. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the, the, the archetypes are a part of this discussion too. And <laughs> I feel like if we could all try to see other people as purified embodiments of archetypes, it's probably easier to forgive them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And it's I interesting. That. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say the archetypes are, you know, a lot of these images are like royalty. It's like, it's like the purified concept is seen as like, uh, you know, the, the, the closer to God or the closer to um, divine or closer to um, something worthy of reverence. And I think the process of becoming more reverent in our manner of being is also probably related to this uh, archetypal seeking. Yeah, and seeing, you know, each person is the person that they are because you're born and and when we're born, we're all more or less the same. You know what I mean? Like we're an entity, uh, we have a gender, but other than that, uh, you move forward and then you start to split, you know? You, you have your experiences which turn you into this person, but more or less, you're just a baby, you know? And then you start to pile on all these things and then the world sees you as the the baby grown up with all these things piled on and what they're kind of saying is no 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 just just look at that as another person you know take the archetype instead of you know nick from denver for you know like take all that stuff away and connect with each person's core and that would be like the archetypical um concepts yeah though um just um a paragraph or two below there it does say that by the way you said we're born as our gender but it actually says specifically that we're the opposite 
Yeah, exactly. And that that's that, that's kind of why I made that point. Like you're born as a baby, and the very first thing that you could someone could assign you to differentiate you from other babies is gender. And they specifically say right there, each male is female and each female is male. So that's like kind of saying, don't don't start laying those labels on people right out of the gate. You know, just take the archetypical person. Mm-hmm. Recognize the all in each. Yeah, and the differences between uh, male and female are specifically archetypal in these images. Mm-hmm. And we all have each archetype and, and yet we all have male and female aspects when we mm-hmm. call upon the different for example, the unconscious mind versus the conscious mind and the um, the nature of wisdom with use of the body versus the nature of balance with use of the body is seen as male and female um, in the body cards. But we, that's definitely another di- discussion for another time too, I think. Um, I think that would be interesting to break down more. Something they talk about it in the previous set of densities that was like the male-female was created at that stage, was it at that octave before we came into this one? So and obviously it permeates down into all of our archetypes. So right. I think that could be an interesting one to explore a little more because obviously there's a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, history almost to those uh, types of polarities there. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, it might be hard for me to look up right now, but there are definitely like two different references to the harvest of the previous universe into this universe, which dealt with the nature of these archetypes. Mm-hmm. All right, this was a really great conversation. I think that was um, a little over two hours now and uh, probably worth wrapping up. Uh, Do you guys want to add anything about this before we close? Um, No, it's uh, definitely always good to get together and talk about the law of one. So certainly appreciate you pulling us together today, Mike. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you, Mike. Yeah, appreciate it. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I just absolutely love the chance to get people talk to people who have clearly studied the material, and you know it's great to it's great to, to uh, compare it to our lives too, and and get get a little bit more of uh, perspectives that way. Yeah, because it's all words on a page until you can bring in some real life experiences, you know. Yeah. Knowledge becoming understanding. Hmm. Hmm. And it's nice to be able to share when you were able to take that wisdom that was just words on a page and transfer it into your life because, you know, you're you're not as unique as you think. Other people are having the experiences you're having. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing we realize with a lot of these meetups and groups is that once you share your experience, someone almost instantly can can relate to that and have a better understanding and in that sense too, you could possibly help someone through something by saying, yeah, this was what I experienced, but here's how I got through it, or here's yeah. the way I interpreted it. And it, you know, it gives them a better basis to go off of, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that whole be the change, you know, if you, if you have mm-hmm. a lot of time to sit and contemplate and you can uh, go through a catalyst to use the raw materials terms, if you go through a catalyst and, and help somebody get through that same catalyst, you know, that's, you're being the change. You're exuding the change. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks again. I guess. Right, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Okay.